Welcome to the Illennials Podcast. I'm Smith. I'm Seth. And we are having uh, a bonus episode for y'all today. Uh, here to talk with us, we have a guest from uh, the other side of the planet. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Magnus. Uh, I'm a part of the Sentinel Co-op and a game designer. Uh, and I'm currently kickstarting a game called Red Rook Revolt. Um, in my spare time, I study philosophy. Hell yeah. And you're and where are you from? I'm from Denmark. Denmark. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. I, I took a, I took one philosophy class in college and I think a, I think the second week the professor wrote like a math equation on the board and I dropped the class and did not go back. <laughs> oh so oh, like a logic class? <laughs> that's my experience. Sounds like a logic class. Uh, and I'm currently kickstarting a game called Red Rook Revolt. Um in my spare time, I study philosophy. Yes, it pretty it was like it was the basic level intro, and I just didn't go back after that. So that's that's my level of experience of philosophy. Yeah, I, I didn't take a philosophy class in college, but I hung out with a lot of guys who considered themselves philosophers, and uh, so I think I learned <laughs> a lot from that. Right, so that's there's a big difference between considering yourself a philosopher and actually knowing philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason we brought you on is because um, Red Rook Revolt is a game that you know you brought it up to me and it caught my attention afterwards because it uh, it has a theme that is very important to us uh, here at our podcast and it's revolution. And I wanted to know more sort of about your, the you know the leanings this game has. Like, what are you trying to? Uh, is it is it political in its in its like goals or like how do you envision that? Um, I mean, uh, there's a red banner on the cover, so uh, it is definitely a political game. Um, no, I don't, I don't course. think, I don't really make non-political games. Uh, but specifically, um, I wanted, I wanted to do a game that um, that both is is positive about revolution. It's like it's not a doomed revolution or uh, a revolution where um, where you just do it because you have to do it or whatever. It's it's a revolution that can succeed. Um, but it also, uh, I tried to, both in the mechanics and in the setting, um, put a focus not just on you know a few revolutionary heroes, even if you know you have to play a few revolutionary heroes, but on uh, like the idea that you need an entire community or you need an organization um, to actually you know do revolutionary politics or do a revolution. You can't just do it one man. Um, that's one of the uh, the more important uh, parts of this game, uh, and something I've tried to emphasize with my mechanics. Um, okay, that's really cool. So before we get into the, the mechanics and maybe a, a deeper discussion of the game, just give us uh, what's the backstory. So what's the setting for whenever uh, players will start this game? Um, right, so the setting is uh, it doesn't actually have any. Um, uh, the setting is basically. Uh, the backdrop is an empire. Uh, it's a fantasy empire, mm-hmm. uh, big and evil and sort of industrial. Um, uh, and the players play uh, heroes of a, of a specific part of the empire that is revolting, uh, that is in revolt, um, called the Red Rook Commune, which is where the name Red Rook Revolt comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that it's a... It's a previously autonomous part of the empire uh, that has now uh, gone into open revolt uh, in response to the empire being increasingly evil and hard-fisted. Um, whereas most of the empire, like, it shares a culture with the rest of the empire, 
but the Red Rock Commune has a different focus. It interprets the same core ideas differently. So throughout, uh, throughout the setting, family is an important thing, ancestry is important, uh, and like uh, ancestor worship is an important part of the religion, uh, stuff like that. But uh, the Red Rock Commune, which is where the players come from, or at least who they are the champions of, and the, the greater uh, Imperium Malarum, which is the evil empire, they interpret uh, those ideas differently. So that's, that's sort of why there's a revolt and why uh, the commune isn't just, you know, uh, rolling over. So there is like a shared culture here between the, the commune and the Imperium. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, they have a shared history and culture, but different views on it. Uh, the inspiration is, uh, and, and it's not a very direct inspiration, it's sort of like a a very loose inspiration, but the, the loose inspiration is something like um, the Spanish Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, where, where there might be, uh, where the uh, CNG FAI, uh, like, they have a shared language and a shared history with, uh, with the rest of Spain, but they don't necessarily have the sh- same shared values or interpret those values the same way. Yeah, it's a really cool... Um, it, like comparison, I haven't seen much that I would consider inspired by the uh, the Spanish rebellions. That's or the Spanish Civil War. So that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, at at one point, I was I was asked what my like what media uh, this is inspired by, and the the best I could do was uh, homage to Catalonia. Okay. Yeah, I think the uh, um, the only two works I can think of that are uh, definitely not sort of like in this vein, but are uh, set in the same time period would be uh, Del Toro's Devil's Backbone and also Del Toro's uh, Pan's Labyrinth, which are about, yeah. you know, the Spanish Civil yeah, War. I can see that. That's cool. Okay, so my question then is, what sort of people are you playing in the game? What, what do you envision uh, player characters basically being? Um... Uh, the player characters are all people who, for one reason or another, um, are part of the rebellion. Uh, usually, that means it's because they were a part of the Redwood Commune and have taken up the banner of their people. Um, uh, one of the questions that will be like a part of character creation is specifically in what way, like in what real way, have your cha- has your character been hurt um, or been or the family being hurt by the empire. So it's it's all people who have some amount of personal reason to uh, despise or dislike the Imperium Alarum um, and have now taken up the the banner of rebellion. Um, it, you don't have to play a character who like has grown up in the Red Rogue Commune because p- part of the story is that, you know, once the rebellion sort of started, people from all over the empire flocked to the banner. But you have to play someone who shares the same general values as the Red Rock Commune. Okay. Um, the uh, the other big thing that like sort of sets the player characters apart is that they um, they use dark magic, or rather they use demonology. That is, uh, to def- because the Empire is bigger and has access to more magic and more uh, resources and more technology. Uh, to even the odds, the uh, the rebellion has taken up um, uh, an old form of uh, an old form of magic called demonology, and they they summon demons uh, into their guns as a part of their uh, sort of guerrilla warfare. So the idea is that the imperial even has a monopoly on like magic in a way. Yeah. So so magic is one of the things that it's like 
it's a part of the culture. Um, everything that's culturally significant or religiously significant is also medically significant. Medic isn't like something that's separate from everything else. It's just a part of the way you live your life. Um, so even like small rituals or daily rituals, uh, uh, if they're culturally significant, if they connect you to your ancestors or to your people, there's magic in them. But okay. because so magic is a is a material force basically. Yeah. Um, but because uh, the empire is, uh, is it's it's also culturally imperialist. It's also culture culturally uh, hegemonous. It also it subverts or takes over magic from the people it conquers, um, and it sort of makes sure that the only magic the common people have access to is magic that to some degree helps the empire, even if it's you know a local cultural tradition, they make sure it's, it's only practiced in a way that is useful to the empire. And they'll even, uh, if, they, if they conquer a city, they'll even uh, adopt that city's ancestors into their own families to make them part of their own uh, ancestor cult and part of their own ancestral magic. It's very insidious. Yeah, it's, uh, it's inspired by some rituals that the Romans did. Um, where they, they, when they siege a city, they would invite the god of that city out into a temple like they would build a temple, invite the god of the city into into that, and then run away with the opponent's gods. The Imperium Alarum <laughs> does something similar. Oh um, wow! I had not heard of that. That's that's fascinating. Uh, the the uh, the Hittites uh, also did something similar. Where once they conquered the people, they would just steal their statues, which were supposed to contain the gods, and then put them in their own temp- table uh, temples. Um, these. Uh, so I'm trying to ma- to to make as a part of making the world magic. Uh, not just you know it's magic as a separate force, but the world is magical. I try to like take inspiration from various cultures um, or various times of world history where that would have been a, a common viewpoint, um, like you know ancient times. So uh, another question, if I, can, if I can ask kind of a mechanical question, is in terms of characters and creating them and whatnot, is this like? A class-based thing? Is it more open and free forms or playbooks? Like, what do you? How do you envision that? Um, so, uh, no, it's it's definitely not a class system. It's it's fairly open and free form. Um, uh, the uh, most of the questions, uh, like most of the character creation, will be about uh, connecting your character to the world. So, like, you aren't defined by a class or playbook or whatever. Uh, but the closest thing you are defined by is um, who is your family, or uh, or why are you rebel- rebelling. Um, uh, most of them, uh, and of course, what is your relationship to your friends? One of the major like mechanical aspects is that that each uh, each relationship is uh, is governed by a, a not quite a stat, but something similar to a stat. Uh, so. All the player characters have relationships, and they all have like different opinions about each other and different connections to each other. Um, which is uh, which is also one of the major dangers of of the game is that those break down. the uh, The big failure state isn't really dying for the cause. The big failure state is uh, is being isolated from your friends and from your community. Wow, I think that's actually a really cool idea because one, I mean, one problem. Um under, especially under capitalism that we've we've realized is that isolationism has kept it so that we can't really collectively bargain and we don't really feel any um compassion for our, our brothers and our neighbors and stuff so 
um, making that an actual mechanic in the game and driving people to stay together is uh, a really cool idea. Uh, the thing that sort of drives you drives the people apart is uh, is uh, the demonology. Like the the demon they summon, they always whisper to them that they could do it better themselves or try to make them jealous or envious of their comrades, stuff like that. Uh, and the way to counter that is uh, to sh- show solidarity to your friends and to lean upon your friends. That's an interesting question there. Is it the same demon every time? Or is it like is it a personal sort of thing? Or is it different? Yeah, no. You The idea is that um, once you take up, you know, once you become a part of the revolution, not, not everybody does this, but once the player characters become part of the revolution, they summon a specific demon and bind it to them. Um, specifically with uh, with their weapon as you know uh, as the focus, um, and then each each player character has their own demon, uh, which sort of affects them in slightly different ways. But mostly, all the demons have the same uh, the same goal of driving them apart and isolating them because then they have more control over them. Okay, that's interesting. So. I, I like this idea that there is this this force that is very personal to you that is, that is trying to to drive you away because you know as Seth noticed we have the, the problems with you know alienation and isolation. There's also I think that uh, the, the, the forces of of capital kind of get into your head a little bit. There's always a little voice in your head trying to convince you that you're that you're crazy or that you know you this isn't right or whatever for whatever reason and you should just like give in. So. I feel like that's a pretty cool way to, to, to tap into that kind of idea. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the idea. The uh, the the twin sort of uh, of evils of the game are, um, are, th- are either things that separate you or like drive you apart, like the demons, or it's the empire, which doesn't like the empire focuses on community, but only in like a twisted obedience to your elders kind of way. Um, mm-hmm. Like in the empire, you aren't disconnected from your people, um, but uh, but you you're connected in a way such that you have to obey. Because the empire is you know it's an it's an empire it's a nationalist empire. Um, uh, so those are sort of the two big evils: it's community but corrupt and turned into authority, or. Uh, or isolation. So yeah, I was on. I was reading through the Kickstarter page earlier, and one thing that interested me is um, a bit of the combat mechanics that are discussed um, about the the idea of um, like getting in and out of melee range and getting um, the dark power you mentioned to kind of to fuel yourself. So what is the what is the combat system? What is the movement? And what are your actions kind of in a, in a turn going to look like normally? I so let me just bring out up my. My notes here, so I don't mislead anyone. Um, uh, the idea of the combat system is uh, each turn you each turn you have three action points. Uh, like it's an action economy, it's an action point system, and you can use those as you want. Usually, you're going to use them to move, which is a single action point, uh, and to either shoot or stab something. Most basic, uh, most of the time, like a basic ranged attack is a single action point, and uh, immediate attack is two action points. Um, so most of the time you'll do something like you'll move into into melee range and attack someone, or you'll move out of melee range and then shoot someone twice. If you have uh, you know an appropriate ability or an appropriate uh, medical tel- talisman or something, you might you might have a bit more variation in, in that um, because and and everybody of course has a very a variety of medical talismans and magical uh, amulets and stuff like that, uh, which sort of 
most of them uh, help sh- help shape your personal action economy in a way that sort of uh, personalizes your combat style. That's the idea. The um, so in a, uh, so that's sort of like what what a combat turn looks like. Uh, the thing is, you can't do a ranged attack unless you have dark power, which is, which you only can which you can only get from doing melee attacks. So if you want to use your, your ranged attacks or want to use various, uh, you can get sort of like medical abilities from tele- from amulets. If you want to use those, you also need dark power. So you'll always have to start out by moving into melee, defeating someone, and then using like then using the dark power you get from there to create more momentum, to put yourself in a more advantageous position for melee attacks or to do ranged attacks. And you can't just you can never just stay at range. Uh, because that's uh, because you need you need to melee attack to, to get dark power, but you're also generally fragile enough that staying in melee all the time is not a good idea. Uh, that that will get you killed, uh, unless you have a very very specific build or something. Um, um, let's see. Oh, one thing that's important and relevant here is that um, melee attacks, uh, at least on the player side, not on the enemy side, but on the player side, melee attacks always hit. You just I melee attack, cool. Then you hit. There's no, uh, n- nothing can like dodge a player melee attack. Um, but you then also immediately make a a defense roll. You immediately have to defend against the counter attack, unless you kill your opponent, of course, Im- immediately. Uh, That's interesting. It reminds me a little bit of a. Uh, it's it's a more generous version of into the odd, where you have no attacks. You just a- everyone just hits, and the only roll is done for damage. So that's. A more player generous thing. I enjoy that. That's, that's cool. Uh, yeah, one of the one of the inspirations. Um, so the, the the twin combat mechanics inspirations are, um, in a sense, it's Hyperlight Drifter. If you're familiar with, uh, it's a computer game. Love it. Uh, because that also has the you have to you have to do melee attacks to gain uh, to gain ammo, ammo for your guns. That's sort of like the base inspiration for that loop, is Hyperlight Drifter. Um, but for the like pen and paper translation of that the inspiration is uh, strike a game of heedless adventure um which is probably uh, slightly obscure but i believe some of you might know it um i've run two campaigns of strike yeah you're so, yeah, a you're a big it. strike guy yeah those are sort of the two inspirations um and, like, it's not very close to strike but the way that strike has you know specific tables you roll on for damage and for damage or for like attacks uh, that's it, that thing. That thing happens here too. And then, of course, there's also a defensive table, uh, because uh, it's only ever the players that roll. At, at no point, at two points, um, so at almost no point, uh, just the the GM roll. It's almost always the player that rolls. That's uh, throughout the combat. The GM just goes, well, this guy attacks you, or this guy attacks you, or make a defense roll, or you know, oh, you hit, mm-hmm. take. He takes whatever damage. He never the, the GM never uh, never rolls to see what happens. That's all on the players, and uh, sort of to give the players a bit more agency and to give the players a bit more, like the players have a, can sometimes they can you know get bonuses from various things from range or from their abilities or whatever. So so all of that is on the player side. The GM just has to you know. Tell you who does what. Let me tell you, as a, as an eternal GM, I always appreciate a game where I don't have to roll anything. Love being lazy, just deciding what happens. So I I always appreciate that. Yeah, nice. So real quick, another side note on the combat here is 
so you said strike is an inspiration, and it kind of reminded me a little bit, you know, your action point system kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, of XCOM. Uh, how tactical in terms of, the like, do you need a map to play the game, like a grid, or can you do it completely theater of the mind style? Uh, you could probably do a theater of the mind, but I'm not sure I would recommend it. Um, the uh, the movement is, is it isn't like grid-based, but it's zone-based. So, you know, there's uh, the zone that's behind the general's table, or above the balcony, or behind the barricades, you know. Out in the streets. Yep, I love zones. Yes, yeah. it's it's a zone-based thing. Um, with uh, enrages work sort of like zone-based based range bands, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so you know, if someone's in the zone next to you, they're at range two. If someone's in the same zone as you, they're at range one. And if you're engaged, that is, if you're close enough in the same zone to be meleeing, you're at range zero. Um, that's sort of how the ranges work. Um, so it's it's a zone based game in terms of movement. Um. Okay, that's cool. I know Seth, you ran uh, what was it? Shadows of the Empire for a long no, Edge of the Empire. Called? Edge of the Empire for a long time, which has the range band system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's which more is pretty just, fluid you know, as well. Short range, medium range, long range. It kind of um, yeah, it kind of frees you up as the the DM to just be like, okay, yeah, you can hit this guy. He's like this guy. Um, so yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, the I um, I usually enjoy range bands, but if there are a lot of players or a lot of enemies, it can get very sort of complex because you usually just move relative to a single person. So you can sometimes be in a situation where okay, so I move away from him, but am I at the same range from that guy and you know stuff like that. Um, range bands can get sort of confusing if you have uh, a lot of enemies or like a sprawling map. Um, uh, so that's why I did the zones thing. Oh yeah, I had that problem in uh, in Thirteenth Age. After a certain point, there's so many enemies and so many player characters, it just gets it can yeah, it can definitely get to be confusing. Um, but also, uh, I I thought grid based was a bit too like I I I find that grids often slow combat down a bit, and I want combat mm-hmm. to be fast and fluid. So that's why I did the zones. I love I love grid game based games. I won't lie. I know Seth. We you played in like two of my fourth edition campaigns. Yeah. Love them, but yes, they are very slow. So yeah, I I totally acknowledge that. As yeah, a, as it's a always a game of okay, can I walk over here? Can I do that? And then you know the opportunity attacks and stuff. Yeah, it gets a, it can be a bit much after a while. So I had a quick question for this is kind of mechanics, kind of of uh, the world. So the guns are kind of a big deal, right? What are they like? What are you envisioning? Like, are they? Does it, is it like a system for making your own gun? Do they fall into certain categories? Like, because um, you know people love guns, especially uh, as Americans. Uh, yeah, the um, the guns are like there are a few basic sorts of guns. There's like you know there's a pistol and there's a heavy pistol and a rifle and a shotgun and a heavy rifle. Um, I think there's one more. Well, there there are a few different kinds of guns, uh, and then you. Uh, then you can add to those. You can add uh, talismans, um, mm-hmm. like you can you can tie tassels to your gun, basically. Like hang a hang a talisman from your gun, and then those do various medical effects, um, depending on what talisman it is. Uh, like give you some bonuses, or open up new actions for you, or let you use your gun in a new and interesting way. Um, uh, and besides that, you also like your demon sort of like 
sort of inhibits your gun it all, uh, because it has a pact with you. Um, so you you also per- personalize your gun uh, with by personalizing your demon by giving your demon uh, a personality and a name and stuff. Um, the guns are the, the, like the guns themselves aren't like ancient relics or whatever. They're just you know the gun you had that you've now summoned a demon into, but you have sort of like made a personal connection with that with that particular weapon. And then you know you've customized it mechanically with by giving it various talismans. I like the talismans. Like you can basically uh, go tactical on your gun by by attaching little magical relics. That's really neat. Yeah, that's that's the idea. Um, you can do the same with your sword. Every character has a gun and a sword because it's both a melee and a ranged game. And is your is your sword given the same level of mechanical yeah. depth, or is it le- is it more just general? Uh, so the sword doesn't have as many like there aren't there aren't variations of swords. Um, I, I considered doing like variations of melee weapons, um, but there wasn't a good way to do it uh, that didn't add add more than add more complexity than I thought would be useful for the game. Um, um, but you can, uh, but you can still personalize it. Uh, uh, your your sword by adding, uh, you know, you can still hang talismans on it. So someone who has the parry the world talisman and can uh, deflect ranged attack attacks back at the enemies uh, is rather different from someone who has the uh, the sanguine response or right the dark lightning talismans, which let you do counter attacks or move move further when you attack and stuff like that. Um, so. Depending on which talisman you put on your so- your sword and your gun, you get uh, uh, quite a variety of possible like me- mechanical expressions. Cool. And so I was, I'm, I'm also reading up on the Kickstarter now. We're talking about firearms and stuff, and it, it says uh, I mentioned here that the the demons inhabiting your firearms will try to make you turn against each other. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's sort of what I mentioned earlier with like the demon trying to isolate you. The, um, the yeah. idea is that each relationship is each relationship is represented by a series of memories. So like you don't just have friendship five. You have five specific memories with that friend that are like specific times and places uh, that you've done nice things together or been friends together. And those all have like a some emotional tone. Like it'll be it's it's the memory of the time your brother was super nice to you and waited up all night to help you. Or it's the memory of the time um, your comrade in arm uh, in arms, uh, trusted you, trust, trusted you to do the dangerous mission that you said you could do alone. Whatever. Uh, at the end of each adventure, uh, the demon will try to corrupt those memories, uh, depending on uh, depending on how much dark power you've gotten in the actual combat. So the more dark power you get, the the, the stronger the demon demonic corruption is. Is the idea, um, mm-hmm. and it will specifically it will try. Like it won't change your memories, but it'll change the emotional tone of those memories. So the time your uh, your your friend led you, uh, trusted you to do the mission, the dangerous mission alone, becomes uh, the time the friend was okay if you died, or the time your brother stayed up all night helping you, becomes that time that the bro- your brother didn't think you could do anything yourself. So that's sort of how the demons try to pull people apart and pull people against each other uh, by by corrupting their uh, their memories and making making all the positive emotions into negative. That's a really cool idea. I like that. I like that it's deeper than like you said. So just a, a numerical, you know, friendship five going to friendship four. Like it's a a specific uh, a memory that gets corrupted. That's really neat. Yeah, That's something actually cutting to the character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
And like, if you fail that, like, so you get a role against it. And if you fail that role, uh, your friend can can try to help you, um, but that exhausts another memory. Like that makes one other memory uh, unavailable because you know, uh, basically because of emotional exhaustion. And then you get to reroll. Um, you might still fail, but you do you you have a chance to get a reroll um, by your friends coming over to you and going, "Hey, I can see you're you're pretty tense. Remember that time we we went drinking? We should do that again, or you know whatever." So during the adventure, there's uh, there's opportunities for the other players to help to, for the players to help each other and to draw on each other's emotional connection. Are the are the in-universe characters are they aware this is happening? The demons are trying to corrupt their, mem- their memories, or is it yeah something they're not totally aware of? Um, I mean, they aren't necessarily aware. Uh, like it seems real to them. Like uh, it's like they might know. No, no, it's the demon telling me that. Um, it's the demon telling me that my my brother is an idiot, uh, but it still feels real to them. But they do know that like that the demon is trying to corrupt them, and they they, do, they can express that like they they can say, hey, I know I know he's talking to you and being telling you that I'm a dick right now. But remember, blah blah blah. So the the characters do know that that demons are you know a corrupting influence. Beyond that, uh, does the game have like a progression system for getting? Like more talismans or stuff like that, or is that? Like, how do you see that working out? Um, that's one of the things I'm uh, I'm, I'm working on. Still, still workshopping a little bit and um, workshopping a little bit. Uh, but yes, there will be some advancement. Okay. Uh, both in terms of your personal character, you'll probably get more talismans or uh, get a chance to replace your talismans, stuff like that. Um, but also, uh, if you do your missions well, uh, the the revolution will advance. You'll get the revolution will get access to more territories, or more more cities, which will will uh, help you with time, downtime, which will give you more uh, more possibility to do st- more possibilities to do stuff in downtime, uh, which is mostly like in downtime. What you mostly do is you recruit, you uh, find your wounds, you form new new memories. Uh, Strengthen your emotional connections, you know stuff like that. So, so if the the campaign goes well, so to speak, uh, the uh, the Red Rock Revolt can in fact succeed and like move forward. Um, uh, on the other hand, if your missions go go poorly, then you are just thrown immediately into into a defense defensive mission to uh, to literally man the barricades. And so. Do you see missions in this game as like discrete? I guess I'm guessing they're like discrete blocks of, of gameplay that happen, obviously. Yeah. But do you see missions being entirely sort of focused on on combat, or is there room for like sabotage or diplomacy or, or stuff like that in there? there? There's definitely room for like sabotage and diplomacy and stuff. There'll still be some combat, um, because sort of like. Uh, because combat is what creates the the corruption that gives the entire game its, its tension. So, like a mission with, with no combat is just a mission uh, with no stakes, basically. Um, right. Because the stakes are generated from the emotional trauma of combat. Um, but there's definitely room for like uh, for missions that are like so you have to sneak into this. You have to sneak into this uh, this military facility and sabotage it, or you have to gain access to these striking workers and help them, or you know stuff like that. It doesn't all have to be combat. There's certainly room for other sorts of missions, missions, um, but there has to be 
there will usually be some element of combat. Um, like some Og or like guerrilla warfare. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, of Lancer, uh, if you read it or not, but has a lot of, of, of stuff that will happen. But generally speaking, you're going to get into a giant robot and fight at some point, and it's expected. So I, I think, yeah, that's cool. I, I like the idea that there is, that you can do other stuff on missions as well. But, I mean, let's be honest here. The game is, it seems to be a lot about combat, and if you're playing it, you probably want to get into a, a cool fight. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, my, my general design philosophy is that um, my games are made for, 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 the, for the thing, like, are structures around, are structured around the things that are fun to do in them. Um, and in this game, the things that are fun to do in them are uh, connecting with your friends and uh, shooting, shooting fascists. That's sort of the, like, the two. Hell yeah. The, the two main things. Well, not fascists, it's more like colonizers, but, you know. Yeah. Um, hey, let's be honest here. Col- col- colonizers, colonizers eventually become fascists, yeah. so um, it's all a, it's a linear path, pretty much. Um, so those are sort of the two, uh, the, the, two, the two main focuses. Well, those sound pretty nice. good. So my question here is, I've never uh, run a Kickstarter before. Uh, I've heard that, it, that there are all kinds of, of difficulties and whatnot, but I, I know you've run one successfully before for a game that I really liked called uh, called Titan Hunt. And so how are you, are, are you do you enjoy running Kickstarters, or, or how do you feel about it? Um, I do enjoy running Kickstarters in general. Um, I enjoy running Titan, Titan Hunt a whole lot, and I'm, I'm enjoying running this. Um, so um, this is being this Kickstarter is uh, uh, it it's much bigger thing than Titan Hunt. Like it doesn't feel like that much bigger, but it, it is like on my end it feels a lot bigger uh, than Titan Hunt, and I can feel it stressing me out more. Um, but I do enjoy running Kickstarters. Uh, I just um, but it's 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 a sort of very stressful enjoyment, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's kind of one of my questions. Is kind of behind the scenes what. And it's like you said, you've done a Kickstarter before. So, what's the process for getting the idea, being like, okay, I'm I'm confident this can be a game, and then making the Kickstarter? What's that timeline like, basically? All right. So, uh, for this, um, I, I sort of I I toyed, toyed around with the idea of making like a a game that reflected, you know, Hyperlife Drifter sort of like cool fluid combat stuff. Okay. Um, and then I then I wrote some mechanics, and then I thought, hmm, this isn't very this th- this is sort of like sterile and bad. Um, and then I fleshed it out, gave them a setting, gave them uh, gave you a reason to fight, uh, gave you made made some mechanics to make sure that it wasn't just you know an exaltation of cool guns because that's not really the sort of games I want to make. Um, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and then at some point I felt uh, like it wasn't quite finished, but uh, I felt confident that I could, uh, I, I had an idea of the scope of the game and I knew what I needed to finish and I, I knew it was, you know, within, th- within the scope of the things I can make. Uh, well, the things I can be sure to make at this point. Uh, and then I began planning the Kickstarter. Um, and that requires uh, finding graphic designers, find, well, finding a graphic designer, finding artists, Finding an editor, um, getting getting a cover, at least one image done that I can use for uh, that I can use for my promotional materials. Um, uh, making making the budget, 
uh, making sure the budget works, planning our stretch goals, you know, and that takes a while. Uh, and then I wanted to make sure I'm not, you know, running it in December or January because uh, don't pe- nobody has any money there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so uh, then I ended up, you know, doing it in February. And then just as I launched, I discovered the sign quest was sign quest was happening in February, and then then I began crying a little bit inside. Um, uh, but that is that, that's sort of the, like the the general the the general pathway. Uh, you said what's happening in February? Sign Quest is happening on Kickstarter in February, where like a lot of creators are making you know small signs, sign RPGs. Um, oh, okay. For for Americans, we would pronounce it uh, uh, zine. Zine. Ah, okay. Zine yeah, Quest. that's fine. So uh, and then I got that was happening at the same time, uh, and that that actually happened with with Titan Hunt too, but I didn't know there was going to be a sequel. Anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's sort of the. Um, uh, how how that process works, and I assume that being part of the San Gennaro co-op has has helped in terms of at least having people to help to like you know uh, at least workshop with, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and 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 actually, like, so I have um, besides me, there are two other people writing writing on this game. One is writing fiction, and the other is uh, helping me write some stuff, some some of the setting stuff. Um, but uh, the fiction writer is actually part of the San Gennaro Co-op, um, and so is my graphic designer. Um, who are just like, I just asked around the San Gennaro Co-op, and they were like, oh yeah, this is cool, we'll, we'll help. Um, um, my cover artist is, uh, he did a lot of the illustrations for Titan Hunt, so I just asked him if he would be willing to like, do a cover for me and then get paid when the Kickstarter ends, and he was fine by that with that. And then... Uh, my editor and my editor I found through uh, something awful, and my artist, my, my the artist doing most of the art, uh, I found by googling, I think actually, or like searching Twitter. I don't remember. Might be deviant art. <laughs> well, well, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. And I found someone who had like an art style I think would work for this game, and had experience with like doing art for the historical period I'm interested in. Um. um so yeah. Um, and then came, you know, negotiating pay. Not that that's a, not actually a very difficult part of this because um, I just offer every, everyone. I just for art artists uh, or editors who I'm like I'm not too familiar with their usual uh, like pay range. I just ask them what they wanted, and then I said okay. Um, and for my authors, I just offered them uh, twenty cent a word. Which is, uh, in my not pretty my experience, pretty generous uh, in terms of writing work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like the average for the for the tabletop game game uh, game writing is like five cent per word. But that's horrible and bad, and I don't don't want to support that. Yeah, um, that's awful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then uh, once uh, like if, if we if we reach our stretch goals. Uh, most of the stretch goals are paying paying me or other people uh, more. Just you know, yeah, um, makes sense. Uh, there's only one stretch goal that's like a content stretch goal, which is uh, pre-gens, pre-gens, pre-generated ch- characters for people to just play if they want that. Yeah, yeah. I noticed. I was looking at the budget. I noticed that like 
most of it goes to art, and that's really interesting to me. That I mean, these because when I look at these these books, I mean, uh, Smith has a ton of them. Whenever I look through them, I'm like, these things are honestly like art books. Like at the end of the day, there's so much art that goes into them, so much really cool art, really intricate stuff to build this world that. Like you wouldn't, I don't know, maybe thinking about it, you wouldn't consider necessary, but it just adds so much to the book and it's just the best part of these books most of the time. Yeah, I'm uh, like, uh, I, I'm not generally a very visual per- person, but uh, but I know that I need art to sell my games. Uh, so I just go, okay, so what's, wh- how much art do other games have? And then I just, yeah. you know, see what works. Uh, um, but I'm, I'm not myself a very like art oriented person. Which is why I'm the writer and the designer and not the artist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you right there. Yeah, it's... Art is, in my opinion, a very important part of of an RPG. Uh, It feels like weird that it is, but it it is when you think about it. Like, it really helps at the tone and, and sell things, so... I can see why. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of these Kickstarters. Or, I mean, I've backed a lot of them. And I, when I look at their budget breakdowns, art is usually a big component of all of them. And uh, even then, you know... And oh, Go ahead. And I mean, good art, good art is expensive. Um, mm. uh, I'm paying almost $300 just for my cover, I think. Uh, and then, like, uh, each, like, single character uh, illustration is, I think... It's, Fifty dollars, uh, and you know, wide illustrations of like a, an entire city or whatever. Those those are bigger, and as is the map. Um, so you know, good art is expensive. You you can get art cheaply, uh, but I like. Uh, but like like if I'm doing art, I want the best art I can get. Um, uh, I'm I'm fairly picky with art actually, despite not being an art person. Um, and art is just it's expensive. It's understandable. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I uh, we said it a while back, but I wanted to go back to your you paying twenty cent a word for for the uh, the writing. That's very uh, it's impressive to me because I'm pretty sure that the big companies like uh, Wizards of the Coast are still paying like five or six cent a word for stuff, uh, which is just wild to me. Yeah, but like in general, uh, indies pay better <laughs> uh, because. It, uh, uh, because they aren't, they aren't as susceptible to the violent mechanisms of capitalism. Um, I mean, to some degree, we still are, of course. Uh, but mm-hmm. but they aren't quite the same. Like I don't have an investor breathing down my down my neck, telling telling me I can't pay my artists that much or I can't pay my uh, writers that much. So I can so I'm free to just you know pay them enough. I do find it interesting that in the indies do pay better than the big companies because that's you know, kind of the opposite of how it is in most industries. Uh, but it also is, I mean, it's cool, you know. It's one more reason to support, you know, indie games. Yeah, definitely. So we've covered the setting, we've covered the mechanics, covered the Kickstarter. Is So tell us real quick, if folks that are listening want, I mean, we're going to link, obviously, to all this stuff in the show notes, but if people want to follow you or follow the game, uh, where can they go? Um, they can go on Kickstarter, of course, which is what the game is. They can follow me on my Twitter, where I'm uh, trying to promote the game as much as I can. Um, uh, they can f- find me find my other games on DriveThruRPG and itch.io um, under MagnusTH. Um, What's your Twitter uh, handle? My Twitter handle is... Uh, uh, I'm actually not sure. Give, give me a short moment. Uh, my Twitter handle is as at MagnusTHI. Okay. 
uh, I, I mostly pro I mostly post uh, I mostly post you know socialist propaganda um, <laughs> uh, and either socialist pro- propaganda or in this case advertising for my games disguised as socialist propaganda. Not <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, we all. So um, yeah. I, I would say listeners to the the show should definitely check the game out and help out Magnus by you know retweeting and telling your friends because this this seems like a pretty cool game to me and uh, one I would love to play. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. to the project. It sounds really cool and um, I like all the mechanics and yeah, the settings obviously really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to say before we go? Uh, it's. Uh, it's been quite a pleasure going on here. I was very ner- nervous um, because I've never done anything like this before, but but it's been quite a pleasure being on here. So thank you. Hey, you did really well. So yeah, glad to have you around. And for your next game, let us know. We'll bring you on again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this has been the Leonel's podcast. Uh, I'm Smith. I'm Seth. And our guest was Magnus. Cool. And we will see y'all later. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Bye.